Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. The European Championships with Football Social Daily. England fans have waited 55 years to see it, but on Sunday, the three Lions play in their first major tournament final since the day they won the World Cup in 1966. For the Italians, their 10th major final, but their first for 15 years and perhaps redemption after failing to qualify for the last World Cup. Italy unbeaten in 33 games, but against an England team who feel they can beat anyone. But will it be Southgate and Sterling or Chiellini and Mancini who come out on top at Wembley? It's England versus Italy in the Euro 2020 final and we'll preview the biggest game in a generation here on Football Social Daily. My name's Niall McCorn and with me we've got Jim Salverson, how are you, Jim? Oh, very good. Nervous and excited about Sunday. Uh, you've not requested to change your name by deed poll to Jim Southgate if England do win the Euros, have you? No, but I have to Jim Salvasoni, just in case the Italians win it. <laughs> <laughs> very good. And to strike a bit of balance, don't let his accent fool you. His name is a giveaway enough. We've got Fergal Brennan. How are you doing, Fergal? I'm good. Uh, not as nervous as Jim. Uh, I've got a much more relaxed position because obviously Ireland didn't qualify, so I can just... Uh, keep my na- fingernails unbitten and just watch the game. <laughs> that being said, with a name like mine as well, that could be levelled at me too. <laughs> You're called Fergal Brennan, I'm called Narmacorn. One's an England fan, I'm an England fan for my sins. Um, first of all, before we talk about the final, England versus Italy, what about this tournament as a whole, Jim? Where do you think it will rank? Because it's certainly been a memorable one for varying reasons, obviously. What happened to Christian Eriksen right at the start of the tournament will stand out in people's minds, but also the journey that England have been on and some of the other standout moments as well that have captured the imaginations of various countries. Where do you think this tournament will rank? I think it's a tournament that's kind of grown into its skin as it's progressed through from not just a footballing perspective, but also from kind of an atmosphere and identity perspective, to be honest with you. And what I mean by that is I think I think the football in general in the group stages were pretty poor. And this is the first time we've seen a European Championships with this number of teams in it. And we've seen 
the more of the minnows from European football coming through. And I think that did have a detrimental effect in the early stages. It wasn't until we got to the knockout stages and even the quarterfinals where we kind of saw the games heat up and we saw a quality of football that you want to see in international level. So I think that potentially needs looking at as to how the UEFA approach the Euros in future. I mean, in honesty, they're not going to reduce the amount of teams. The only thing that could potentially happen would be to increase them. And even that, I think, potentially might improve it. It wouldn't improve the level of football, but it would certainly improve that ridiculous third-place qualifies rule that seems to confuse everyone during the Euros. But early on as well, I complained about the kind of lack of identity the tournament had. I remember Euro 96 in England. I remember France 98. And the fact that those tournaments took on the identity of the place they were held. And I think that has been a big miss during this tournament. Um, the pictures of Rome, for example, um, when the, the kind of fan parks out there, and the fan parks were lively, but in terms of the city as a whole, it didn't have an identity of it being a European host city. There weren't adverts all over the place featuring the world's greatest footballers holding various products. There weren't flags all over the city. No Vuvuzelas anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it just it didn't. It didn't. Have, I mean, that, that's, that's it. South Africa had the Vuvuzela. It was part of the identity. As annoying as it was, and as much as it sounded like you were watching the entire game being attacked by wasps, it was at least <laughs> part of the identity. And that has been lacking. I think that's crept into the tournament as we've gone on, purely because so much of the tournament has been hosted in England, mm. and it's kind of felt like our tournament, but that for me has been a big miss. So it's not a classic, but it's certainly improved as we've gone through it. I think it probably will be a classic if England do win, certainly oh, yeah. <laughs> in this country. Um, we'll come on to the fact that the game's at Wembley in a second, but touching upon Jim's point there, Fergal, UEFA president uh, Chefran has said it's unlikely we're going to see this format of the Euros again in regards to multiple host cities. It was quite a nice idea, I felt, in principle, but it hasn't really worked logistically. What's your takeaway? As you say, in theory, when this decision was made, um, everybody kind of seems to think these decisions get made 12 months in advance of a tournament kicking off. This will have been decided the best part of a decade ago. And in theory, the idea of pan-European, fans being able to travel, different countries being involved, no kind of major home advantage given to one country as you say, in theory, does make a lot of sense. COVID has obviously muddied the waters significantly. It's impossible to look at the structure of this tournament working the way it is without involving COVID. We we have absolutely no idea how this would have worked had COVID not been a factor um, during the tournament. And that's just been a simple fact of, of how things have gone in the last uh, few months since the tournament has started to roll into gear and then obviously kick off. Um, in terms of UEFA and their position on it, no, I'm not surprised because they will be looking at this as a long-term project and money, as so often is the case, is, is the bottom line in all of this. And I think they've seen a lot of money hemorrhaged uh, away from match revenue, sponsorships, um, stakeholder investment, all these types of things when it's not in one country. From an investment point of view, from a sponsorship point of view, tournaments are attractive because they can say to investors and sponsors, listen, this is exactly, you know, as Jim said, of footballers standing holding bottles of coca-cola or, or certain other products or whatever that's what the money men that are involved in financing football want they want a stable position with which to uh, to place their product so that's that's probably the governing decision behind UEFA's point and Seferin's point and that it won't be done again um I think logistically it's been massively difficult um it's obviously difficult to gauge how difficult it's been from fans because it's not been a normal tournament in the sense of 
if there was no COVID or we were in a position where movement was completely unrestricted, then we'd be able to assess Wales fans having to fly to Baku for a game, whereas now we only know a small portion of them had to fly to Baku because that was all that was allowed. So it's incredibly difficult to measure because we don't know. COVID has been the defining factor in all of this. But I think, best case scenario, a, a relatively okay job has been done. Um, but to go back to again to what Jim said about certain countries and, and when you watch it as a spectator, that's part of what you get from a tournament, particularly as a fan, is the experience of being in a place, travelling around, you know, the gaps in between games, you can go and see a couple of museums, you know, see the local sites, have some food, some drinks, you know, meet new people. I, I remember going to France to, to watch Ireland and in the gap between one of the games, we managed to, to score tickets for Spain against the Czech Republic for, I think, €25. Euro. So we stayed in Bordeaux, watched the match, had a great couple of days. You don't get that. Yes, the bulk of it has been in London, but you don't get that when it is this all spread around. What what you go to a tournament for is to also experience where you are. Uh, we've all been to London. You know, we don't need to massively experience it that much. We we kind of know what we're getting. And even if you've travelled and you've been to a certain place and watched one or two games there, it's not the same as being able to say, I've been there for two or three weeks and had a fantastic time. Yeah, I think you make a really good point. And also in the least shocking statement of the year, UEFA changing the format to suit the sponsors. Um, that comes as absolutely no surprise to me, you, yeah. Fergal or Jim, I'm sure. Um, you've mentioned about the fact it's almost felt like a home tournament, Jim. The game, of course, is at Wembley. Seven out of the eight England games that will have taken place throughout the tournament when the final rolls around will have been played on home soil at the National Stadium of Wembley. How, sig- how significant an advantage is it against the Italians or even has it been in the journey that England have had so far? It's impossible to actually tell exactly the impact that all those home games have had. My suspicion is I don't think it's had the impact that maybe some people have suggested it has. And England have been called lucky for having the route through to the final they've had in terms of opposition and in terms of the location the games have been played. I would have said that up until the the semi-final against... um, Denmark in midweek because I think it would have been impossible for the players on the pitch that game not to be moved by suddenly seeing 60,000 football fans inside a stadium given the 12 months that preceded it and if they needed an extra lift in the extra time or in the last 10 minutes of the game or whatever it was then all they had to do was look around the stadium and see a partisan crowd and what it meant to them so it potentially it is a lift it is an advantage but as we've seen over the last 12 months kind of that home way away advantage has been blown out of the water a little bit and as we've discussed before in terms of premier league grounds the development of football grounds and these kind of bowl arena type arrangements don't have the same kind of impact as having this partisan crowd on top of you because they're not on top of you they're 20 yards away sitting in the posh seats drinking coffee so it it doesn't quite create the cauldron of intimidation that it might do otherwise and for a team like Italy I can't see it affecting them on the day they're too they're, they're too experienced and they're too professional to let it get on top of them as for the young players in England I mean if you can't be moved and motivated by being in a major tournament final you shouldn't be there in the first place so I can't again see it having too much impact on how they perform on the day 
Speak for yourself, Jim, drinking coffee in the posh seats. Sounds like someone <laughs> yeah. who's had experience of that, if you ask me. That's a window into Jim's weekend. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, if you're ever, if you ever lucky enough to sit in the posh seats at Manchester City, each of the posh seats I have, <laughs> the, um, each of the posh seats has a little switch on it that heats the seat for you. So on a cold winter's night, on a December night, you just turn the heating on and you sit there in your heated, padded posh seats. Not something I've done regularly. <laughs> Even my car doesn't have it's that. It's a different world. <laughs> yeah. It's a different world. Absolutely. Um, Chiellini, uh, the Italian defender, he's almost started the mind games in reference to the fact that it's effectively been a home tournament for England. He suggested it was inevitable that England got to the final due to the home advantage. Um, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of this back and forth between England and Italy, Fergal, over the next few days. Um, it has effectively been a home tournament for England, hasn't it? Um, can you see why the Italians might be slightly griped or do you think it is complete mind games heading into Sunday? I think it is mind games. Um, Chiellini, you know, the points we talked about before with UEFA and logistics and organisation, Chiellini's not worried about that. He's not worried about, you know... Uh, the spread of games and where things are playing and the bureaucracy of UEFA. No, he's thinking, hmm, is there a little needle? Can I have a little needle at England here? And it's it's absolutely standard. I'm not surprised that he's doing it. I you know, I think if it was the shoe was on the other foot, England players would be doing it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all. I think it's a little bit of a clever point to maybe get a little needle. I don't think it'll massively affect um, England in terms of the players. Maybe the fans might get a bit riled up, but the players are just going to bounce off them. And... We've seen with Chiellini the the incident with with Jordi Alba in the the penalty shootout. He was he was like an uncle at a wedding, grabbing someone, get in here, get in here for a big hug, and give him a, I think give him, I think give him a little kiss or a little pull on the cheek as well. This is this is the way these things go down. And Spain are a fantastic team, and he still didn't care. He was like, I might be able to lean on them a little bit here. You know, there's still five people going up to take penalties. If I can, you know, just kind of lean on lean on them a little bit here. Um, I don't think he'd have done it if it was Busquets, for example. Um, he deliberately did it because it was Alba, because Busquets had been subbed off. And these little margins do make a difference. Um, I don't necessarily think England can be intimidated in that sort of sense or knocked in that sort of sense. Um, but that won't stop Chiellini from trying. You can't blame him for trying. These little... And, and we've seen it within the tournament. And, you know, we're going to get onto it in a second. I think this will be the difference in the final. These tiny little margins, these tiny little battles, whether they're you know, with the ball at your feet or inside your head, that is going to be the key. And he is trying to squeeze a little bit of an edge. Wouldn't be surprised if there's a few more quotes from him between now and when the first ball gets kicked on Sunday night. So fair play to him. We've seen him, you know, hugging and kissing Alba. He might have a crack at something like that during the game. And why not? It's up to England to react to that. And I'm sure England have enough heads in the team that they can respond. We'll come on to Italy and England in a little bit more detail shortly, but just before we go to a break, Jim, some fans, some England fans have said that they're so happy with reaching a final, the first in 55 years, that they don't care what happens on Sunday. I'm sure that won't be the case come kickoff. Mm. <laughs> I'm kind of in that group, to be honest with you, which is kind of that typical England defeatism. But when when you've been starved of success for so long, I kind of get the mentality of getting to the final is a huge achievement for Gareth Southgate and England and that needs to be recognised if we lose against Italy the emotions will feel raw it will feel hard and people will be upset but the important thing for me is that England fans remember the journey the team has been on and how they have conducted themselves this tournament and I sensed a little bit of, bit of this in the I went out to the pub to watch the Denmark game and when England conceded the goal 
that it's amazing how quickly people turn and people forget and the the aggression and the spite comes out and i think it's really important that england fans remember the achievements rather than what potentially might be a disappointing end to the tournament but i think i i i never expected england to get this far i said quarterfinals would be an achievement and here we are on the cusp of a final of a european championship the first major tournament in any of our memories um, and I think that has to be recognised. And you've got, you've got to, you've got to be a. There's a certain part of you, even if you desperately want England to win, there's got to be a certain part of you that goes, "That's pretty good. I'll take that." Yeah, I think I'm in that camp as well. Obviously, desperately want England to win it, and losing would be crippling. But certainly, to get to the final of a major tournament for the first time in what is effectively a generation, um, I do think you need to take it in and soak it up and enjoy it because it doesn't happen too often, as has been proven by history. Italy, they kicked off the tournament in flying fashion on that opening game, the Friday night where they beat Turkey. England, a little bit of a slow burner in terms of getting their tournament underway. We'll look at both sides in a little bit more detail next here on Football Social Daily. Welcome back to Football Social Daily from Sports Social. I'm Niall, alongside me, Jim and Fergal. And time to talk Italy ahead of the Euro 2020 final at Wembley on Sunday. England's opponents are the Italians and they've looked strong throughout the tournament, Fergal. Where do you think their particular strengths have been? Because they've impressed from the very word go. They have. Um, I think arguably the most impressive uh, person connected with Italy is actually Mancini. Um, I think the way that he has set them up is very much focused, not too dissimilarly to England, is not about a star name or a couple of players that can just tear a team to ribbons, uh, as we expected to be the case with with France. But I think in terms of the team, um, collectively, it's very difficult to pick out an individual. um, And that's exactly how Mancini will have wanted it. And it's probably how Southgate will be talking about England. Defensively, traditionally, stereotypically, they're very, very solid. Um, But I think it's actually the two wide forward areas that maybe before the tournament weren't spoken about as much. And prior to the knockout stages, Mancini did flick around and try a couple of different people in different roles. And in the Belgium game and then in the semi-final against Spain, he stuck with the same three, which was um, Insigne and uh, Chiesa, either side of Immobile. Them, for me, have been the most impressive because there's so much focus on Immobile or Bellotti when he's come on. The natural thing of... He's the centre forward. We need to pick him up, make sure he's not causing problems. And that's meant that Insigne on one side and Chiesa on the other have just caused havoc. Um, Insigne, the goal he got against Belgium, was fantastic, but was a very Insigne goal. Comes in, drops the shoulder and then just swings it round the keeper into the top corner. And Chiesa has a, a brilliant ability to just, before the ball's out of his feet, bang, he's got a shot off, bang. And it's either in the back of the net or the keeper has to react and save it. And I think looking at England and particularly in terms of how they set up, that's where the danger will come. We know Italy are going to be very strong defensively, very combative in midfield. Jorginho's had a really good tournament and he'll look to keep things ticking over. But those areas, probably in between Kyle Walker and John Stones and Maguire and Luke Shaw on the other side, is where the danger will come from because they've both got different skill sets, Insigne and Chiesa, but this idea of getting quick shots off against Jordan Pickford, I think is something that England will, uh, will need to be mindful of. Another of the Italian strengths, Jim, has been the spirit that they've shown. I mean, you can see that in 
the, the way they sing their national anthem with the passion that they convey every time uh, before a game where they're all stood in a line. And even after the semi-final against Spain, where they almost pay tribute to their teammate, Spinazzola, who ruptured his Achilles and missed the semi-final, will miss the final. And his new boss at Roma, Jose Mourinho, has revealed that he thinks it might be at least until January when they see him back. So it's a nasty injury that he picked up. But they pay tribute to him, as I say, at full time, chanting his name after they beat Spain. He's going to be a big miss. But Fergal's right, isn't he? They've got lots of other talent there. And it's almost that spirit which has helped carry them through to this stage, even in the absence of some of their better players. Yeah, I mean, they have got talent right the way through the team. Italy and Fergal picked out a few key performers there. I think the goalkeeper's been fantastic this season. Absolutely massive. Got a huge reach. He's the opposite of... He's the... He's the the anti-Pickford, isn't he, in terms of a goalkeeper? <laughs> so, I mean, in terms of personnel, you can't worry too much about individuals because there is strength all over the pitch. I think the spirit is really key, as you pointed out, Niall. I think Mancini has changed the Italian makeup of that team. And he's been very Southgate in his approach. He's created a team that is full of spirit. And I like the fact that very un-Italian, he's kind of looked at bringing in these players from outside of the top three and four in Italy, he's looked at other clubs like bringing in Bellotti from Torino as well to create an atmosphere of, do you know what, if you're good enough, you can play in this Italian team. And if you're good enough, you will keep a place in the Italian team. And that's very unlike how Italy has been in the past. But I think in terms of spirit, it's, as Fergal said earlier, it's kind of the old heads. It's the dark arts where Italy are really good. These are experienced players in the most part, and they are players who know how to win. And when push comes to the shove, they will employ those dark arts. They'll have the, those little tricks that get them the 2% edge. And I think that's where England potentially need to be wary, because on the whole, if you compare the Italians to that very young English team, it is the Italians that have the experience. Yeah, certainly. I'm fascinated to see how this game pans out. I think a lot of people can't really separate the two sides particularly because of the two managers as well. I mean, how will Southgate combat Mancini's style? Will he stay with a three at the back or stick with a four at the back? What is Mancini's style though? So in terms of, because when we came into this tournament, everyone talked about Mancini kind of playing this expansive football and changing how Italy were from the, what we remember as the, the Galazio kind of, yeah. Uh, the Italia days. I mean, the old cliche and... is that Italians are slow and they play 3-4-3 three, three and they like to dictate possession and get the ball down the wings. But it's, I think it's the pressing that we've seen from Italy that has almost taken a few people by surprise because Serie A, as good as a league as it is, still has this stigma, maybe ignorantly from us here in the UK, that it's a slow cumbersome league and basically it's easy to go over there and, and get the job done but I don't think maybe I've seen the free-flowing Italian football that I was expecting and I think there's been a slight change between what they did pre-tournament and what they reverted to in this tournament because they have based their games on a defensive football they have been very solid on the back and built from there so it isn't quite the Italy I expected it, it's certainly as you say much more free-flowing than the 90s 4-4-2 we're going to keep a clean sheet. We might nick a goal style game. But I, 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 to answer you the question or to revert what you were saying, I don't know how Southgate combats that because logic would suggest if Italy are going to try and keep a clean sheet and absorb pressure, then you go with the formation we saw against Denmark. You go with four at the back, two, three, one. But that said, as you point out, Fergal, the Italian fullbacks are very strong. They like to push on and they have got danger men 
who can score goals from pretty much anywhere on the pitch. So from that point of view, you play the three at the back with the two wing backs. It, it's a really, really difficult scenario for Southgate to decide how he plays this one. Well, let's talk about that then, Fergal, because as we know, the four at the back used to have been Southgate's preferred formation for most of the tournament. Obviously, he went three at the back against the Germans and it worked brilliantly. And I think he even said before the game, it's one of those formations and selections. If I get this wrong, I'm dead. Yeah. I think that were yeah, his yeah. words before the, the game against Germany. Um, but the last two games, the back four has worked well against Ukraine and Denmark. Do you envision Southgate sticking with that formula, playing four at the back? Or do you think we might see him revert to the three at the back that we've seen once or twice in the past? No, I think he'll stick um, as it is. I think the idea against Germany was to directly match up with Kimmich and, and Gersens because they were seen as the key for Germany. They pretty much got, particularly Robin Gersens was excellent. He, he got them out of the group. Against Denmark, it was interesting that he refused to budge from, as you say, this idea of a preferred back four, despite the fact that Larsen and Mela have been really, really good for Denmark, but they don't pose the same threat as Gersens and, and Kimmich. So that's that's actually quite a positive for Southgate, that he looked at it and went, Germany are really strong here. Denmark are decent, but I'm not going to budge. You know, Germany deserved a little bit of special attention. Denmark don't. We're going to revert back to what we, England, do best. And I think... I think he'll stick with the same team. I think, for me, the, the the interesting point or the concern for England in terms of how they combat Italy is the makeup of the midfield. Because so far this tournament, Rice and Phillips, who've both been very, very good, very solid, very consistent, they've both sat deep. They've sat as a, as a two, almost like a, a Premier League two. And the person further up has, has flipped and changed. Generally speaking, it's Mason Mount. Mason Mount likes to play very high up and squeeze on the opposition number six, whereas Italy play a very tight, packed three. There's not really that much um, distance between Verratti, Jorginho and, and Barella for Inter Milan. England have a decision to make. How do they look to combat that? Do they do they keep Mount where he is, where he squeezes up really high? But then you've got Barella and Verratti either side relatively free because Rice and Phillips are thinking, well, hold on, the whole tournament we've been told, just sit, keep it steady, protect the defence. That's, for me, probably where it's going to be won and lost because either Rice or Phillips, one of them's going to have to go. It's probably going to be Phillips. Uh, I think Rice sits more comfortably in that role for England. I know Phillips does it for Leeds. I just think Phillips is more mobile to get out and squeeze and squeeze and squeeze than Rice. But ultimately, and you know, I'm sure Southgate has been working on this in training, that is something that England are going to have to change that they haven't done this tournament because they've been so good at containing teams that Rice and Phillips, through their positioning, have stopped England getting played through. This time, one of them, or both of them potentially, are going to have to go out and meet the challenge. And we're going to see, we're going to see a real measure of Rice and Phillips. And that's no slight on them. They've been very, very good. But we're going to see a real measure of them, not just the magnitude of the game, but up against a Verratti from PSG and a Barela who's just won the league with, with Inter. It's going to be a big test for them, but they've both been really impressive so far. So I would be relatively confident they'll be up for it. Whether they're up to it across 90 or 120 minutes is going to be fascinating. I think it's 100% going to be Phillips that plays that role because we've seen him do it a couple of times in this tournament already. We've seen him get forward, not as much as he does for Leeds, but certainly a little bit. And I think he'll be the one that pushes up. And in terms of fitness, I mean, any player who plays under Bielsa at Leeds has the fitness to do that, probably for four hours, let alone 120 minutes. So do you know what? If, if I was looking at that, you know the Boyle Sports are doing this £10 
no-lose bet for every England game during the European Championship. This is the last chance. £10 on. If you lose it, you get your £10 back in the Boyle Sports app. If I was looking at placing a bet on this, it would be for either Rice or Phillips as an anytime goal scorer. I've gone with Rice purely for my West Ham connections. I think I got 11 to 1 on it. So uh, we'll have to see what happens with that. Well, I've seen a few shouts as well for Jordan Henderson, who might be a, a good option considering what Fergal's just highlighted there. But was as it Jim... from someone that was a Liverpool fan, though? Only Liverpool fans are calling for Jordan Henderson to start. <laughs> Funnily enough, it wasn't. Was it, it Steve McNaughton? Uh, <laughs> I have seen... I've seen plenty of calls and no, I'm sure Steve McNaughton would uh, would probably not begrudge Henderson a start. Talking of that £10 no-lose bet, our sponsors over at Boyle Sports have had that brilliant offer running throughout the tournament and of course it concludes during the final on Sunday because it is the final England game. Stake £10 on that game on any market and if that bet loses, you'll get the money refunded to your account in the form of a free bet. Don't forget T's and C's apply, 18 plus. Bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. You can find all the latest odds on the Boyle Sports website, boylesports.com and the Boyle Sports betting app as well. Southgate, back three, back four. Well, he hasn't not changed his side throughout the whole tournament. He's tinkered ever so slightly here and there. And I can't think of the last time he named an unchanged 11, but we might see it for the final. At least if, Jim, Bukayo Saka of Arsenal keeps his place in the front three. He's been favoured by Southgate throughout the tournament. Only 19 or 20 years of age, still very tender, very young. Not really anything to lose, but plenty to gain. We saw him switched out for Jaden Sancho um, a couple of games ago as well. Just, I think maybe he was carrying a bit of a knock, Bukayo Saka. But when he's played, he's looked very, very impressive. And you can see why Southgate has been tempted to stick with him. Yeah, he's been really good, particularly in the... Was it the Germany game where he just... The first 20 minutes, he ran into a lot of dead ends, but he seemed to mature as the game went on, started to make the right decisions. He's just been really impressive. I think that is the only change that we might see, purely because, as you say, potentially carrying a knock. Wasn't quite as impressive against Denmark, maybe, as he was in the previous game, and it seems to be a straight battle between Sancho and Saka from that spot as well. What I don't think we'll see happening is the introduction of Jack Grealish, even though that seems to be the main call from English fans over the last kind of week has been, we want to see more of Grealish, we want to see the excitement, and I kind of get where Southgate's coming from in terms of not playing him, because he is exciting, but in terms of tactical players and that is what Southgate likes I think he likes players that know how to play a position that do their jobs I think the likes of well Mount and Saka or Sancho and Sterling are far better at doing that than Jack Grealish in we saw when he came in against Denmark that he has got a role to play and that role is Jack go and sit in the number 10 spot be disruptive win free kicks but as soon as push came to shove Southgate was right, off you come. <laughs> Let's get someone on that can hold this together a little bit more. So I, I, for Jack, unfortunately for Jack Grealish, I think he, can, he has got that little bit of magic. He can make something happen. But I don't think Southgate quite trusts him. I think Phil Foden's not really made the impact that many expected him to make this tournament. So that is the only potential change I can see happening. And I think it does come down to probably Saka's fitness. You're an Arsenal supporter, Fergal, so you would know better than most just how impressive Bukayo Saka has been at club level and now he's shown that on the international stage. What does that say about him as a character and his quality that he's keeping the likes of Grealish and Sancho and Foden on the bench in what is, you know, a brilliant England side in terms of squad depth? I just think he's just such a 
brilliantly nice fella. Like the interview he did last week, talking about <laughs> getting good grades in his getting good grades in his A levels, and you know liking his mam and, and all this stuff. I just think he is in that sweet spot, as you say, because of his age. He's not been exposed nearly as much as Grealish and, and other players to hype and to the Premier League. He's very very new to it all. And whilst you have a player in that sweet spot, you can just say go out and play. Go out and play, go out and perform, go out and do what you do. What you've been doing all the way through the Arsenal youth setup. Like he's still really new to the Arsenal first team. He's a, a regular this season, but he's still very, very, very new to, to top flight football. And yeah, he is he's carrying that form forward. And I think, as Jim said, this idea of doing a job, he's been kind of conversely helped by the fact that he's played a lot of football at wing back for Arsenal this season. And Southgate likes that because he knows if England get pushed back. He will get back. He'll make a tackle. He'll help his full back. He'll disrupt things. And then he'll look to break with the ball. Whereas that doesn't happen with Grealish. That doesn't necessarily happen with Sancho. Both fantastic players. But Southgate knows everything is about the system. Everyone pulling their weight. Everyone doing what they've done in St. George's Park at Wembley. And he knows that he can rely on Saka to do that. Because system-wise, he's, he's more flexible positionally. But... In terms of, again, his position in his career, there'll never be a position like this again for Saka. I still think he'll be as good, but there'll never be another England tournament where Saka will be so completely unexposed to some of the pressures and hype and fame that other players have been in the last couple of years. And that's a massive, massive benefit for England. I think he'll start in the final. I think he deserves to start. He set up, well, set up the own goal um, for, for Simon Kier. I think he's been excellent. And I think the thing with Italy is they will look to close and close and close space. If you have Sancho who tries to, you know, kind of twinkle toes and get past people or Grealish that does a similar thing, they'll just slam the door. Chiellini will just kick him up in the air. Saka can carry the ball from deep. If you've got Saka breaking from the back of Verratti with the ball, they can't touch him. If they come out and he skips past them, it's a yellow card. If he goes past them and they foul him, it's a penalty. So I think he, that's why he is best suited and he deserves it. Um, and I think Southgate has been brave enough to keep picking him he's been brave enough to stick to his convictions um, I think it'd be an unchanged team against Italy and I think that's the way it should be and then if 60-70 minutes in it calls for it send out the signal Grealish Foden Rashford Sancho whoever you know he's not short of options to, to bring on but Saka deserves his chance um, and it's, it is it's brilliant to see an Arsenal player doing well um, and it's even better to see such a nice fellow doing well because he really really is Shoot the flare gun into the sky, SOS. Jack Grealish required. Uh, <laughs> saving needed at <laughs> Wembley. Um, I think that's a really intriguing point that Fergal makes about Saka and his exposure on the international stage, Jim. Does that tell us a lot about Gareth Southgate and how he's dealt with these young players? Because Phil Foden's still a very tender age. And if you think back to previous England managers, I think the most obvious example would be when Theo Walcott was taken to the 2006 World Cup. Was he, what, a 16-year-old back then? Which was, you know, a, a real eyebrow raiser from Sven-Juran Eriksson at the time. But Bukayo Saka, still a teenager. Um, players like Jade and Sancho and Phil Foden in their early 20s. Mason Mount, Marcus Rashford, not much beyond that. And yet, you know, these are considered as players who deserve their spot in the England side. So does this tell us a lot about Southgate and his management, the way that almost these teenagers, even though they've proven in the Premier League that they can do it, that he's willing to take them on and give them a chance? 
Um, I don't know if it says much about Southgate. I mean, he was always going to lean on youth, Gareth Southgate, wasn't he? Because of his history with the under-21s. And that is part of the roadmap. And the reason he was brought in in the development of St George's Park was to bring in new young talent through the England team. So that has always been kind of top of his agenda, if you like. I think what it does say is the way the players have acted within the camp and the maturity of the England players that are in there. It's no coincidence that we see these England players behaving in a different way to maybe their peers who are playing for other nations or who... That sounds a bit Brexity, doesn't it? But you know what I mean? It's kind of like... I, 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 I kind of generally think that the, 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 the modesty and the uh, humility in which the England players have handled themselves comes from... The, the, the England roots and the England setup because it goes right the way through the team. It goes through your Mason Mounts and even people like uh, Raheem Sterling who are considered the 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 uh, the oldest statesman in the team now, which is a ridiculous thing to say for a fellow that's 24 years old. But this, the statement he released the other day about how the paper have been attacking his his love of bling, inverted commas, and the fact he bought his mum a house and kind of the maturity in which he handles that. It seems to be something in the England DNA now that whether it's this is how you behave and there's a level of training and there's a level of openness. And I know Gareth Southgate very much when he first came into the job encouraged players to be themselves in interviews and express their own opinions rather than necessarily following the set media trained formula. So whether it's part of the England camp that they're setting these players up in this way or whether it's the other way, maybe the people who are being welcomed into the England fold are people who fit a certain... DNA who have certain characteristics and it's almost being treated like on a club level you have to be the right person to join a team rather than just having maybe the natural ability a name that Jim mentioned there Fergal Raheem Sterling for some he's been the best player of the tournament how good has he been for you and how are Italy going to deal with him because he's almost been at the center of everything positive that England have done this tournament Put him in a city shirt. That's the way you dampen his ability. <laughs> Stick Sterling in a city shirt and he's rubbish. <laughs> um, it's a good question. How are they going to deal with it? Yeah, first of all, he's definitely been England's best player um, for me by a country mile. Um, I think based on some of the players that have been knocked out in the knockout stages, I think he's he's really strongly fancy to win player of the tournament. In terms of dealing with him it's difficult because he doesn't stick to one position he doesn't kind of hug the touchline that maybe he did in his in his younger days um and yeah jim is right on the back of the season with city he was he was good but not excellent he, he you know he had some bright moments but there's you know there's been potential talk of him of him leaving i think that's all nonsense but in terms of italy i think the way that they will look to play particularly with no spinazzola but you'd expect saka to be on that side um Di Lorenzo and, and Emerson Palermi at Chelsea will stick super tight to Cellini and Bonucci because what we've seen from Sterling now is he doesn't like to go outside the fullback. He likes to come in and either run in with the ball or play that little pass, the little pass that he popped in for, for Kane for the goal against Ukraine. For Italy to stop that being a factor, they need to shut down that space. There can't be any space between Di Lorenzo and Cellini or Emerson and, and Bonucci on the other side because he'll pop that ball through or he'll run through it himself. Um, and I think that's what they will look to try and do. I think when he starts bouncing in off the left-hand side, I think Cellini will come straight out and hopefully doesn't you know crunch into him too hard. But I think that's exactly what they'll try and do. They'll try and pincer from the back of the midfield. You'll see Jorginho coming across. You'll see Verratti coming across. They'll be making a concerted effort that he runs into a cul-de-sac. And I think 
that is the only way that you you can stop him in that sense because he's he's really grown into this role where he's constantly looking for where Kane's running, where Saka's running beyond the two of them. Um, and I think Italy, there won't be a man-marking job necessarily. I don't think that's the way to go. Shutting down the space that he wants to either go into or put the ball into. Um, but I think the more he runs inside, the more they're just going to try and create a gridlock. So that kind of goes back to the Phillips and Rice thing. There then comes an onus on the other players in midfield for the first time this tournament to say, Raheem, give me the ball. Like they're all piling onto you. Just lay it off and let us do it. Um, and again, it, it's on it's on the other players around him to start stepping up. Mason Mount, we haven't really seen the Chelsea Mason Mount so far in this tournament. I know obviously he missed the game after testing positive for COVID, but there's other players that we haven't really seen their club form so far in this tournament. And I think... Rice, Phillips and Mount, assuming that Mount starts, are going to have to help Sterling because Italy are going to target him. Whether they're going to kick him, whether they're going to shut down space, whether they're going to do whatever, they are going to target him. As teams have done, we saw that against Germany. They were immediately onto him, immediately onto him. Let other players have the ball. Don't let him have the ball. Um, And obviously it didn't work in the end and and England got through. But I think that's how Italy will do. They'll, They'll look to shut down the space that he wants to get into, wants to pass into. And if that takes two players, it takes two players because they'll be confident that other players so far in the tournament have not shown an ability to unlock a defence in the way that he has. I agree. And I think we've seen Sterling run through the centre a lot more like you've highlighted there, Fergal, something we haven't seen too often uh, in previous years. Uh, and in an, in an England shirt, he almost is a different player. And I know Jim joked about it earlier, but certainly he is England's danger man. And there's more than one danger man for England, which, you know, leads me on to this next question, Jim. I mean, you've seen many an England side over the years. Is this the best England side that you've ever seen, or at least the best since 66, when England last did win international silverware, or even, you know, lesser than that, last reached a final? I mean... You've got to judge it on results, haven't you? That's the only way to judge how good a team is and how well they do in a competition. And this England team is the first team that has got to a final since 66. Incidentally, England weren't fancied for the final in 66. They lost their star player just before that tournament, remember? So there are similarities between the two. I think the key word is side. Are they the best side? Because as a collective, I think undoubtedly they are the best collective of England players we've seen in a long time. And they may be on an individual level don't have the quality that we've seen before when the likes of Lampard and Gerrard are in a team or Scholes and Beckham when Michael Owen and Wayne Rooney were in there. I don't think we've seen a better England player than Wayne Rooney in the last 50 years. So in terms of an individual quality, they're maybe not quite there. And we've had many golden generations for England, haven't we? Like 2002, 96, there were all these different ages where so much expectation were on a team. Here we've gone into a tournament without very much expectation at all. We were all really concerned about defensive frailties of this England team. We didn't think Jordan Pickford was up for it. We thought John Stones had mistakes in him. Harry Maguire was injured for the first part. And they've gone out and proved everybody wrong by conceding one goal in an entire tournament so far. So they are a brilliant side. They play for each other. They play for their manager and they play with pride and commitment. And I think that means a lot. What's really interesting, I think, is... If this tournament had happened 12 months ago, if it had happened when it was supposed to have happened, this would have been a really different England team. And a lot of the key performers probably wouldn't have been there. I think Saka wouldn't have been there. He hadn't had that season at Arsenal, so probably wasn't even on the radar. I don't think he'd made a England appearance by last summer. Luke Shaw, no way he would have been in the picture because he hadn't 
had his resurrection at Manchester United. It's the last season he's had, and he's been one of the best players for England this tournament. Calvin Phillips probably wouldn't have been in the squad either because it's been his first Premier League season that's really cemented his place for England. So if we're looking for positives from the whole COVID pandemic, (laughs) the fact that England have come out of it with a far better team than they went into it, Maybe. I mean, it's not a balance, is it? But it's 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 a silver lining. Southgate has picked some stinkers, though, in recent. I mean, Jake Livermore was in the squad for ages. Maitland-Niles, I don't know how he managed to get in the squad. So there's been a few questionable choices. Um, but I think he'd happily admit that as well, Gareth Southgate, and say, you know, mm. listen, I'm going to be cru- scrutinised and criticised for my team selection, but it's the faith he has in those players to deliver his game plan. And I, and I think also, just, just on that quickly, I think, as we were talking about earlier about earlier about sort of St George's Park St George's Park and England kind of setting the standard for how players behave and how they deal with themselves on and off the pitch I think that's part of it by welcoming in players to the England fold in games that maybe aren't important where these players aren't necessarily going to feature or might just get 10 minutes it's kind of integrating them into that system and making them feel part of it which is which is why I quite like what's going on at the FA at the moment in terms of their vision for England as, as a future. I think, I think that's part of the plan, kind of building this, this new standard for what it means to be a footballer. Italy unbeaten in the last 33 games, Fergal. England fans supremely confident after what they've seen this tournament. Who's been the better side throughout Euro 2020 for you and who do you see lifting the trophy come Sunday night? Oof. Um... I think, to be honest, when you when you measure each game against each other, I do think Italy have been a bit better. And I say that based on primarily the group stages. Um, I think Italy were far better. Italy, for me, along with Belgium, were the best team in the group stages. They didn't bat an eyelid. England found it really hard against Scotland and only got a point. Um, and you know a decision goes the wrong way against either the Czech Republic or, or Croatia, and that turns into a draw. So I think if you balance the... Seven, sorry, six games against each other. I'd say Italy probably edge it. I think Italy have also gone the full 12 rounds in all of their knockout games as well. They've three extra times and a penalty shootout. England have only had one extra time. So, yeah, I would say who's been the better team? Italy just. That's not to take anything away from England. England deserve to be in the final. They've, they've played excellent. They, they do deserve to be in there. Who is going to win? Um... It's very You're Irish. You can't back England, surely. No, You've got to back Italy. <laughs> but I can't. I, I. I can't not back England because I don't think that they don't deserve to win. I think. I think it's going to be decided by mm. something absolutely tiny. I think if Italy do, sorry, if England do beat Italy, they will deserve to do so. I do. But I, again, I just think logic, small margins, and everything come back into it. And I think Italy win those little battles. I don't think, and I will unequivocally say it, you know, Ireland fan or not, if England do win, they deserve to win. They deserve to be in the final. They've been excellent. But I just think within 90 minutes, within 120, within penalties, if it comes to penalties, those little gaps, I just think Italy will have the edge. Well, if you fancy having a little flutter on the Euro 2020 final, you can because Boyle Sports are offering you a £10 no-lose bet. All you need to do is stake a tenner on any market during England versus Italy or before. And uh, if that bet loses, then you'll have the money refunded to your account in the form of a £10 free bet. You can find the latest odds and T's and C's at boylesports.com and on the Boyle Sports betting app. Don't forget, it is 18+. plus. Bet responsibly. Begambleaware.org. And not only bet responsibly, 
responsibly, but drink responsibly as well. I know what you're like, Jim, after a few lagers. Um, <laughs> and saying that, I've just received a text from uh, our own Marley Anderson, who says, hey, hey, sorry, I'm drunk on the train kiss. Um, maybe he's getting into the spirit early. I'm not really sure what's going on it, there. That's supposed Marley. to come with a photo or something. <laughs> I'm, I think he's confused me for his girlfriend, which is quite concerning, um, if that is the case. Uh, where are you going to be taking in the game, lads? Because obviously... Um, exciting times ahead and a a bit of a once in a generation thing for anyone living in England I suppose Do you know all, all the pubs around me were booked up months ago for the final been quite lucky getting tables in most of them for the other games but the final is going to have to be watched at home particularly because here's a nice story so my eight-year-old lad isn't particularly bothered about football he's kind of not particularly interested in it earlier on in the tournament he was asking when West Ham were going to play England uh, so he doesn't <laughs> quite understand the concept of the game but when are they playing them come on <laughs> if we if we win it will be powered FIFA. by England um, but the, uh, the uh, he's asked if he can stay up late to watch the final uh, on Sunday so I'm going to let him stay up and I remember my first memory of watching England play it was Italia 90 and I remember watching John Barnes just run with the ball for 90 minutes and so I think this will be his first proper footballing memory will be watching England either victorious or defeated in the European Championships final yeah that's brilliant. I've watched pretty much all of the England games at home on my sofa and I've now developed a superstition of which I cannot change that yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> I have to stay in the same spot. Um, I remember when I was uh, a wee nipper and uh, watching David Seaman get chipped by Ronaldinho in the school assembly hall, watching on a big screen. That was kind of my first memory. Um, yeah, that was my first memory of watching England and uh, it wasn't a very uh, very fond one. It's stuck in the memory to say the least, but obviously it wasn't one of overriding joy and glory. What about you, Fergal? Where are you going to be taking in the action on Sunday? Probably home. Uh, I think it's probably the safest shout. Uh, I'm in the same boat as Jim. You know, if you try and get a seat in a pub anywhere, you're, you're having a chance. It's been booked up days or weeks in advance. Probably at home, um, but it's all just it's all just so up in the air. Like, Sunday nights could go and the thing is this is the beauty of the situation it's only going to go one of two ways it's either going to be absolute bedlam or unfortunately for England defeat but either way I do th- I do think it's, it might not be the most exciting game but it's you will not be able to stop watching it for a millisecond and I think for that reason you don't want to be four or five pints deep in the pub you want to you know be sat in the house and actually keeping an eye um, in case you know ch- Chilini pokes someone in the eye and you can catch it and be like look see what he did yeah, you want to be able to remember what happened. Meanwhile, Fergal's ordering the pizzas in on Sunday. He's already ordered his full outfit yeah. of Versace. Anything Italian he can do, he's uh, he's got on it. <laughs> Ice cream on pizza. That's what I'm having. <laughs> yeah. Uh, meanwhile, I'll be having pineapple on mine to annoy the Italians. But there we go. Don't forget, Football Social Daily will be back on Monday, looking back at whatever happens between England and Italy. Some rumours of an emergency bank holiday, but fear not, we'll be there for you regardless of what happens. Italy versus England, once in a generation game, the Euro 2020 final. That's it from us today. We'll catch you then. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! 
computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.